0: Welcome to church. This morning we're starting our new sermon series that focuses on Philippians. Pastor Barry is kicking it off with Philippians 1 verses 1 to 3. If you're new here, we'd love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. Head to calvarycommunity.ca serve to see how you can get involved here. On this page, we have different ministries you can join, engage with community, and see a little about what's going on here at Calvary. We're so glad you could join us today. Good morning. Think of something that you really want. What is it? What is it going to cost you to get this? You know, when Lorianne and I are serious enough in our relationship where we're talking about marriage, I begin looking for rings. We didn't have the internet back then. For some of you, that will surprise you that life actually existed before the internet. Despite being a missionary with Youth for Christ uh, at the time and the financial support that was coming in at the, was very, very low, I had worked hard to save as much as I could. So with some idea of what I was looking for, i go from store to store Looking for a ring. And in a small privately owned jewelry store in Heritage Mall. How many of us remember Heritage Mall? 111th Street, 23rd Avenue. I find the perfect ring. And apart from the thousands of dollars that I had spent on schooling, this was by far the largest purchase of my life. And I about fall over when I see the price tag. But it's on sale and it just slips in to my price range. That ring, that cost me everything I had at the time. I had left just enough amount of money in the account to pay for rent, some utilities, and a little bit of food. Everything else went for the purchase of this ring, and I didn't even stop to think twice about it. I knew I wanted to marry Lorianne. I sensed that this was who God had for me, and so with a big dry swallow, I pay the money. It is a risk because sometimes you just don't know how these things are going to turn out. And it was a significant cost because I knew that I would not be able to return this if something went sideways. So I simply take a deep breath and I say in the quietness of my own heart, okay, God, I guess here we go. Exploring the Bible as the Word of God and studying it verse by verse is important to me, and it's important to us as a church. Knowing the Bible well and connecting with God through the Bible is a vital aspect of our discipleship, understanding who God is, understanding what His call is, wrestling with that, what that looks like in our life, determining in our spirit that this is the way we're going to go is significant for anyone who chooses to follow Jesus Christ, so as we take various books of the Bible throughout these years, we will be unpacking the nice parts, the easy parts, the parts we like, the parts that make us feel good. But we will also be considering the difficult parts. Verse by verse going through scripture does not give us the, uh, the privilege of skipping certain things, skipping the parts that we don't like, skipping the parts that are uncomfortable for us. We are going to be looking at the confusing, sometimes the hard to understand parts, including those things that call us to walk differently, counterculture to those around us. Whether you are new to this faith or whether you have been walking this for a long time, I invite you on a journey of exploring who God is through the pages of of, of, of the Scripture. The book that we are looking at this year is the book of Philippians and we will we launch the series today and we will be in this series probably until sometime into February and March. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you didn't leave us without a way to get to know you tangibly. Thank you, for the Word of God. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it is alive, it is active, it pierces to the very core of who we are, it actually can divide things between our spirit and our soul. You seek to use your Word to impact us, to help us understand who you are, and to help us connect with you through the power of the Holy Spirit as we read about you in the Word. So I just ask, today, as we begin this series on Philippians, I pray that your word would come alive for us. Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate it, you would help us, you would shed light on us, help us to understand what it is that you're trying to communicate for us. What do you have for us? Who are you through this book? Holy Spirit, do this. I commit this time to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Philippians is for many our favorite book of the Bible. Some say it's because it's the book of joy. It's so uplifting. It's so encouraging. And it's true. It is. It certainly is that. But what makes the book, makes it the book of joy? What is so significant about Philippians? Where does this sense of joy that is experienced in this book come from? Why is this book in particular way more that way than any other book of the Bible. You know, back in August when I began to sense that this was where God wanted us to go for this fall, I began reading the book of Philippians almost every morning. And I was intrigued as to why this book is so special. In order for us to understand that, we need to look back at the circumstances that created this book. The book of Philippians is actually a letter. It's not a book at all. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church or a group of house churches that he had planted in the city of Philippi. Philippi was originally founded about 360 B.C. by settlers from the island of Thasos. And after King Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great, he conquered this city and he named it after himself. Philippi became an important city, not only because there was lucrative gold mines there, but it was also on the main east-west route through Macedonia. Macedonia. Here is a map uh, to give you a picture. The city is located in what is today northern Greece. Philippi eventually became a Roman colony and was nicknamed Little Rome, for they redesigned everything in the city. They redesigned the, the architecture, the economy, the structure of civil government, even the way of life of ordinary people to mirror that of Rome. Being a colony gave them all the rights and the privileges of Roman citizens. It became a privileged and a desirable place to live. So in the year 49 or 50 A.D., so this is about 17 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Apostle Paul went on his second missionary journey. Among the companions that he took with him is Luke, who was a medical doctor. He was the one who will be documenting the events of their their journey. He takes a guy by the name of Silas, who was like his right-hand man, and then they pick up this young protege, Timothy, in their travels. And after visiting some of the churches that he had originally planted in what is today the country of Turkey, his desire is to go north towards the Black Sea. It's just to the upper right of the map. But in the book of Acts, which is the fourth book of the New Testament you'll find in the table of contents, Luke, the medical doctor, records in chapter 16 that God blocks their way to Asia stopped them, So Paul and his companions continue to head west. And one night, the Apostle Paul has a dream of a man inviting him to come to the province of Macedonia. He wakes up. They talk about it. They decide that this is the sign from the Holy Spirit, that that's the direction they're supposed to go instead. So they sail from Troas, you see on the map there, to Neapolis. Now, I'm curious. As we are going about our day, are we asking the Holy Spirit for direction? Even as a pastor, I can get so caught up in the people and the demands in front of me, that it's easy to just do, rather than quietly seek the Holy Spirit for direction, for wisdom, for love, patience, self-control, for solutions to problems in front of me. It doesn't matter what is involved in our day, seeking to hear from God, gaining his mind for what we have in front of us is critical to keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. So are we paying attention? Are we paying attention to the places where the Holy Spirit says, "Uh uh-uh, don't go there? Careful what you say here. Don't say that. Say this instead. There's been times that I can look back and I can say that I wish I had listened to that still small voice inside. That sense where the Holy Spirit was going, uh uh, but then I just blew through. You know, one of the habits of the Apostle Paul as he went from city to city sharing the reality of Jesus Christ was to start in the local synagogue, Jewish synagogue. But there was not much, there must not have been much of a presence of the Jewish community here in Philippi because there was no synagogue. So instead, he and his companions head outside the city down to the river, thinking that there perhaps would be a place of prayer there. And there is. They begin a dialogue with the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening, her name was Lydia. She was a businesswoman who dealt in purple cloth. And was originally from Thyatira, a city in Asia Minor. Now, like some of us today, she was living a long ways away from where she was born. It is said that she was a worshiper of God. How Luke knows that or how um, she got connected to God in the first place is not recorded. But when she hears the Apostle Paul talk about Jesus Christ, Luke writes this in verse 14 of Acts 16. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is an exciting day. Not only is Lydia the first convert in all of Europe, but the church that was founded that day was the very first church in all of Europe. Paul and his companions continue to meet people at this place of prayer alongside the river. And they dialogue about who Jesus is and and what does it take for us to follow him. But something particular begins to happen. Almost every day as they are on their way to the river, a slave girl would meet them. She, verse 16, had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Apparently, she was quite good at it, for she earned a great deal of money for her owners um, by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, any of us ever feel annoyed? Greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Let's go on to verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. Just consider this for a minute. How would you feel if a major revenue stream in your business suddenly dried up? You'd probably not be very happy. In fact, you might begin to panic. What happened? How did this happen? So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Think about it. For Paul and Silas, this turns out to be a bad day. Everything totally goes sideways. Have you ever had one of those? You say the wrong thing you do the wrong thing and suddenly everything kind of blows up in your face i sure have had those days how do you respond what are the emotions that rise to the surface as your heart begins to pound does your anger flare do you curse and swear do you want to kick something do you want to throw that wooden spoon or whatever's in your hand do you want to throw it across the room well, let's see what Paul and Silas's response is. Do they snivel in self-pity? Or are they overcome by the sheer pain and agony of the bruises and swelling? Think of it, being beaten with rods. I don't know if any of us know what that's like, but here they are sitting in this pain. Were they angry at God for letting such pain and rejection happen to them? I mean, God, why didn't you protect us? Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining to the other prisoners about these businessmen who lied about them, who bullied them and abused their power of city council. No, that was just to see if you were awake. See, we can find all kinds of reasons and excuses to feel sorry for ourselves. They... Paul and Silas were praying. They were singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. The apostle Paul experienced opposition at almost every place that he went on his missionary journey. And it may be true for us. Wherever, whenever we share the reality of Jesus Christ, who he is, we can expect opposition. We can expect adversity. This was not something Paul shied away from. It wasn't something he was afraid of. For him, there was profound blessing in suffering for Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. James says it. James says that we're supposed to count it all pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. But how? How can we experience joy in the midst of pain or suffering or crisis? Well, I think it's when we look to God with a thankful heart in the midst of that pain that He begins to do this work within us. The Holy Spirit comes and deposits this joy, this this sense deep within us that begins to rise up. So Paul embraces suffering that comes because of our identity with Jesus Christ. In fact, he writes to the Philippians later on in this letter. We're going to look at it. It says that he wants to know Christ He wants to know the power of his resurrection and get this. He wants to know the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul saw it as profound blessing to suffer for Jesus Christ. But I wonder, do we? If you're anything like me, I can't even count the times I've been too intimidated. I've been too chicken to share Christ. We like our cushy, our comfortable life here in this culture. As part of the top 10% wealthiest people in the world, we don't want to give anything up. We're concerned about our reputation. We're concerned about our job. We're often more concerned about what other people will think of us. How they'll respond to us if we actually walk in faith, if we actually walk in obedience to Jesus Christ, if we actually take the risk to share Christ with someone. Now, you might say that those prisoners who were listening to Paul and Silas that they were a captive audience. Yeah, you can groan, that's okay. I can hear my kids say, Dad, good, good dad joke. But that's not the sense of how this is written. It's like they were listening intently because I think, just by reading the text, I think that they're thinking, how can these men who have been beaten so badly be so joyful This doesn't make any sense to us. Paul and Silas' response was being watched, I believe, very carefully by those around them. And then, verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed that the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer calls for the lights and he ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household.'" And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of night, the jailer cared for them. He washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, think of just for a minute of this experience from the jailer's perspective. In an, area, in an era of history, this era of history, it was the jailer's job to guard the prisoners with his very life. If anything happened to them, if they escaped, if they died for some reason, his life would be forfeit. And that's why he drew his sword, to take his own life. He was simply accepting responsibility for the prisoner's escape. But even though the earthquake had released all the shackles and doors in the prison, not a single prisoner leaves. How does that even happen? What prisoner in his right mind wouldn't flee as soon as he has the opportunity? And yet not one does. It blows his mind. Is this not God? Was God not demonstrating his power to this jailer? I sure think so. Going from a moment where your entire life flashes before your eyes and you think you're done, it's these representatives of Jesus Christ that give your life back. I imagine he's thinking to himself, these guys have something that I want. How can there not be an, an overwhelming sense of gratitude? The exhilaration of being saved. And then as he surrenders his life to Jesus Christ, I imagine he receives this overwhelming sense of God's presence. This, the freedom that comes from forgiveness and being accepted for exactly who you are. Think of the joy that overwhelms him and all those in his family. Like, what an incredible experience. So I ask you, have you made this decision to follow Jesus Christ? Is it time for you to do that now? Can I encourage you to consider? Is Jesus God? And does he have the right to be the Lord of your life? Consider, do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Will you trust Jesus through his suffering and his death to forgive you your sin? If you answer yes to these questions, you can sell, simply tell him these things right in the quietness of your own heart. And when you do, you will be saved. You will become a child of God, become a part of his family, just like this jailer and his family did here in Philippi. And the Alpha Course, if this is your decision, the Alpha Course that, we're, that you've heard about here today, it's a, a great next step for you. I invite you into community. Let's explore these things together. Now, think of this experience from Paul and Silas's perspective. They have come here to share Christ with people, and there are a number who are coming to faith in Christ. They're watching these people's lives be transformed. It's all good. They're excited. There is a deep sense of satisfaction that comes when we see God work. I know, I've experienced it. That is Joy. But when everything goes sideways, and it seems as though everything will be lost, God does this incredible miracle for this whole group of people, and it brings their joy to a whole new level. You see, when we risk in God with other people, when we lean in with other people's journey and come alongside them in the midst of their questions and their pain and their suffering, their crisis, when we see God meet them in very personal and profound ways, they're our bonds, there are bonds that, that are created in relationship that go deep. There is a level of love, there's a level of delight in those people that's hard to explain. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is why this letter to the Philippian church is so filled with love. So filled with affection and so much joy to experience God personally in the midst of crisis, to walk through hardship with other people in community, in small group for our context, to experience the love and the joy and the peace that God brings in relationship with Him and in relationship with other people. It's a great way to live. And that's why when someone has impacted our life so significantly and they are no longer in our life, there is deep grief and pain because of these bonds that happen. These bonds are good, but it's why there can be so much pain. Great joy and great pain. There is a significant bond between the Apostle Paul and these Philippian believers. It's no wonder why the words joy and rejoice are found over a dozen times in this short little book. So if we fast forward now, 12 to 13 years. From Paul's original visit to Philippi, the Apostle Paul is now in prison in Rome awaiting his execution order from emperor nero it appears that a close friend of his epaphroditus has come from this church in philippi to bring him personal encouragement and also some financial gifts some financial resources to help him along during his imprisonment and upon hearing how the church is doing paul gets he gets excited he's also got some concern that we're going to look at as we explore this together but he gets excited You see, what I find so interesting is that of all the towns and all the cities that Paul preached throughout his three missionary journeys, all the churches that he established before he was executed, this church in Philippi remained strong for several centuries. In fact, when archaeologists have uh, dug up, they found and they dug up the original city of Philippi, among the structures that they unearthed, were three large basilicas where the Christians in that city had gathered for worship. That was for some 300 years. If we risk, if if we do a risk-benefit analysis, opportunities to serve people and share Christ with them, may lead to conflict, may lead to adversity. But the blessing that we receive from God and the experience of deep and meaningful relationship is so worth the risk. And it's why Paul introduces himself like he does as he starts this letter. Now, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Sorry, verse 1. He says... Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, uh, his young protege Timothy, was obviously with him, hanging out with Paul while he was at house arrest, and with him while he wrote this letter, but he calls themselves bondservants. Paul makes no mention that he's an apostle, no mention of his apostolic authority, or that what he's writing is actually going to be scripture. He could have called himself the church planter, past, the church planting pastor, your fearless leader who suffered dearly for you on your behalf. No, he calls himself bond servants. With the New Testament written in Greek, the word here describes a person owned by someone else, not hired, owned, so subservient to, dependent upon. When it's used in the New Testament of a believer's relationship with Jesus Christ, Dulos describes a willing, determined, devoted service. A slave of Christ. You see, Paul was, Paul was all in. He took everything he had and he put it on the line. He took the risk with God, not knowing how it was all gonna turn out. And it wasn't just all of his money for an engagement ring. It was his whole life. He was sacrificing. No, he was investing everything he had because because of Christ. And a life of service to him was that valuable to Paul. So I simply ask... What are we sacrificing? What are we investing into our service of Jesus Christ? What is it that you really want in life? What's it going to cost you? What are you willing to give up? Or are you just going to sit comfortable? Not say anything not do anything, no one moves, no one gets hurt. Will you join me? Will you join me as we pursue hard after God? Paul writes that they were bondservants of Jesus Christ, not bondservant of Rome, not of their culture, not to people, not even to this church at Philippi, but to Jesus Christ. He has a single-minded devotion for any of us, including us pastors and anyone in leadership. If we are more concerned about what what other people think, their opinions, if we're more concerned about other people's standards, we will invariably stray from the gospel and a walk of godliness and holiness to some form of compromise. Devotion to the Lord Jesus and to his word will help keep all of us on track. Paul goes on, Philippians chapter one, uh, verse one. He says, now to all the saints in Jesus Christ at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with certain Christian traditions, you will notice that they use the word saint as someone who is special, someone who is higher than ordinary Christians, Someone who is up on a pedestal. People who have accomplished extraordinary deeds and lived an exemplary life. Those things are good. But in fact, they revere these people and officially canonize them after their death. They worship them. Some worship them. But scripture makes it clear that everyone, everyone who receives Christ becomes a saint or someone who is set apart from sin to God. This Philippian church, it was a good church. It had a great foundation, a solid foundation. And it's why there was so much excitement in Paul because of their relationship that they, that they shared. Paul does call them saints here. But he also calls believers in Corinth. So there's another couple of books, First and Second Corinthians. If you go read that, he calls them saints. And that church is a mess. See, so it doesn't matter your story. It doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't even matter how much evil and destruction you have created in life. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ and trust him for the forgiveness of our sin, God does forgive us of our sin. And he covers, he washes away our unrighteousness of our life. And he makes it as though, just as though we never sinned. If you know what it means to be overwhelmed with shame, overwhelmed with guilt or with condemnation because of some of these things, I sure do, then you would know how precious it is when we understand at the core of who we are what it means that we are a saint. It doesn't mean that we don't or we're we're not gonna sin anymore. It just simply means this is how God views us. This becomes our identity. And this is the significance of what Jesus Christ did through his death and resurrection and why we celebrate, why we remember it during communion. Just to remind us, the bread, in this case, a really dried out piece of wafer. (laughs) But the bread represents... Christ's body given for us and the cup represents his blood that was shed for us if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today then this ceremony is about well, but we're, how we are about to partake of this this is for you if this is a decision that you haven't made yet you haven't chosen to go God's way yet, then I encourage you, maybe take this time. Withhold, don't partake. Take this time and consider what is it that you will do with Jesus Christ. This is the most significant decision that you will ever make in your life. while they were eating Jesus took some bread he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body then he took the cup gave thanks and offered it to them saying drink from it all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins let's take a moment of quietness It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do we need to spend some time in repentance? Is there something that the Holy Spirit would perhaps bring up to you right now, point out to you, that you need to confess, you need to repent of? Let's just take a few moments. Let's do business with God. Then I'll pray, and we will partake together. so thankful that Lord Jesus you didn't you didn't take your position in heaven as more important than us but you gave up what you had there to become one of us to suffer to die to pay the penalty of our sin because as your word says the penalty of sin is death You died in our stead. And Lord Jesus, we are thankful. And so for anyone here, for all here of us who have confessed sin, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. And I just want to affirm to you that in Jesus' name, you are forgiven. That sin you confessed is washed away. Jesus dealt with it at the cross. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you come and give us a sense of that cleansing even right now, a renewed sense of purity, washing that defilement and that yuck away. Thank you that your blood cancels the curse against us. So as we partake now, Lord Jesus, we remember. We remember what you've done for us. And we say, thank you. We bless you. And we worship you as we partake now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and partake. want to be a church that's encouraging. We want to support and uh, encourage each other. And so one of the ways that we can do that is at the end of our services, um, those of us pastors, we can bless you. And I, I want to bless you today. So would you stand with me? And I don't know if it's kind of weird for you. Maybe it is. Um, One of the ways that we can, a physical posture we can take to to say that says to God, God, I want to receive everything you have for me. We could simply go like this. You don't have to. You don't have to do this, but if you feel comfortable and you want it, then you can do this. And this blessing simply comes from our text, actually. Philippians 1, verse 2. Very simple, very brief, but a great blessing. Grace And peace to you, each one of you, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless you. Have a great week. If you uh, would join us downstairs for some fellowship, we would love that. It'd be great to get to know you and talk with you more. If you want prayer for anything at all, come over to the side of the, the stage here and we'll have a team. would love to pray for you. But I'd encourage you on your way down or on your way out the door if you have to leave, would you go and greet somebody that you don't know? Just say hi, introduce yourself, and then you can move on. It doesn't need to be hugely awkward, but just introduce yourself. Bless you, have a great week. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website, Facebook, or on YouTube and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.